We thank you so much for being here today. It's a, oh, these are always unusual days when we have to move our clocks forward and then to, for it to be the, as cold as it was this morning. So thank you for being here today. Those of you in the overflow room, thank you so much for being in attendance. And those of you watching online, we uh, certainly appreciate you worshiping with us this morning. But um, to get started, as Ryan mentioned, the title for today is Here's Your Sign. So before GPS systems became so commonplace in phones and car navigation systems, how many of you would say that you were directionally challenged? Okay, I see the hand. Yes, 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 Lord bless you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Okay, yeah, two more over here. God bless you. Thank you so much. Um, yes, um, you know, GPS has just made it so easy for us. I notice when I ride with my son sometimes, who's uh, about to hit 30, uh, even places he's been before, he still uses GPS sometimes just to kind of make sure, or he maybe likes the voice. Oh, you know, you can play with the voices on there too. So I, I faked out my mom one time and put the Australian voice or something on there and just, who is that? You know, anyway, um, so, but when we think about signage I'm, uh, and, and learning to drive and getting directions, when I was a teenager learning to drive, the first thing my dad did was he he pulled out all the maps from his cars, um, from his car, and um, showed me how to read a map. Because back then we had one for the city in which we were living, but also for the state of North Carolina, which was where I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, but then also for the whole Southeast. And he taught me important things like the interstate system, numbering system, you know, and I bet you there's somebody who doesn't know this, but even-numbered interstates go east-west, right? And odd-numbered interstates go north-south. And I said, what a brilliant idea, whoever thought of that. And, of course, the three-digit ones like 475 or bypasses or all that stuff. And that's amazing. So he taught me very at a very early age how to read signs, plot out my course, and how to find my way to distant lands, you know, as the case may be. Um, but anyway, and of course, then along the way, I learned that men never admit that we're lost, right? We're just taking a new adventurous route. Isn't that the way you say it? And I discovered that's why they had to start uh, recruiting women astronauts, because they needed somebody that would be willing to ask for directions, you know, in space, you know, if, if you ever got lost. Okay. I think I'll chunk that one. Uh, the, the first service didn't laugh at that one either. Okay, so okay. So anyway, uh, Ryan, take a note for that for next time. Okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, but you know it, it would be so nice to have a you know this GPS system for our spiritual lives. Anyway, so instead of being a global positioning system, how nice would it be to have a God positioning system? So whenever I had a big decision or I'm just trying to discern God's will, I would have this voice come over and say, turn left here or turn right or recalculating directions, you know, <laughs> going on in my life. Or fool, you need to make a U-turn, you know, <laughs> turn around. So, but anyway, but I realized that God has actually done that for us, hadn't he? Because God speaks to our hearts and to our minds through his Holy Spirit. And whether it's through prayer or just, just thinking about stuff, God often speaks to us. And some people, 
seem to think it's as clear as an audible voice, which I believe that happens. Other times it's through God's word itself, whether you're reading it for yourself or you're hearing a message like today or you're in a Bible study with your home team or small group or um, or listening to a podcast or watching a YouTube video of someone else. God speaks to us very clearly through his word and makes it very clear what we should do and what we should not do and what his desire and his will is for our lives. But I learned another one kind of along the way, once again, from scripture that has really helped me a lot. And I found myself going back to this quite regularly. And that is the concept that we call spiritual markers. You might, we might also refer to them as memorials along the way, but spiritual markers. So what is a spiritual marker? Well, a spiritual marker is some form of experience that serves as a reminder of an encounter we've had with God. Now, hopefully something is coming to your mind right away of a significant experience you may have had with God. For a lot of our uh, kids and students, it's often through a retreat or camp experience that God does a real wow moment in their life. Or maybe it was just through talking to a friend or maybe just being alone with God's word. But there was a a, a close encounter with God. And so that becomes a spiritual marker for us. Um, And so what are spiritual, um, uh, well, Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, actually said it this way. Spiritual markers in our lives serve almost like road signs that point us in a particular direction. So he says when we are seeking God's will for our lives, our decisions should, should line up with the spiritual markers he has already created in our lives. So the aspect there is when God does a great work in our life, it becomes a spiritual marker, like a pen we put on our map as such. And then as we're seeking God's will for our lives or his direction for our lives in the future, that these markers should begin to line up in a consistent manner to some degree uh, to show us where he is leading us there. So what are the benefits of these spiritual markers? Well, I think there's three. One is it's a reminder of God's provision in the past. And that is when God did something great in the past, it's just a reminder, a refresher to my mind that God can do it again. So therefore it becomes, gives me confidence for God's leadership in my present and current situation. But then finally, it's uh, the spiritual markers provide a promise of God's direction in the future. And so today I'm actually going to take a look at three from the Old Testament that I believe are significant experiences that became spiritual markers for the Israelite nation. But I think it bears um, well for each of us to reflect back on our personal experience and how it may relate to each of these here. So the first one is about Jacob at a place called Bethel. Now, a few weeks ago, if you were here, Ryan Knapp, our college pastor who introduced me a moment ago, actually preached a great message about Jacob and gave you a good history of his life and how God worked in his life. Well, just to refresh your memory in case you weren't here, uh, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Now, if you know a little bit from your Old Testament in Genesis, Abraham received a covenant promise from God that he would be the father of uh, many generations and that God would 
would make his descendants his chosen people. So really through Abraham, we have the birth of the Israelite nation. So Abraham had a son named Isaac who continued the covenant relationship there. And then Isaac had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And this is where Ryan really focused on some of the things that happened there. But Jacob, at this point in his life that we're about to read in Genesis, is on a journey to find a wife. That sounds like a good thing to do, right? And so on the way, he has a dream. And when he wakes up from the the dream, is all about um, uh, angels ascending, uh, well, a ladder descending from heaven to him. And so angels are going up and down this ladder, and it's almost like they were at the escalators at Belks or something like that, passing each other, going up and down. And so, but in the process of this, God makes a promise to Jacob that says, my covenant that I made to your grandfather Abraham will continue through you and your descendants. So we pick it up in Genesis 28. We read this. Uh, When Jacob woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar. Now, that's not southern for pillow, okay? A pillar is like a monument. You know, yeah, that kind of thing. And, <laughs> and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of the place Bethel. Now, that's the way we say it and read it. But really, it's a Hebrew compound word, Beth, which, says, which means house, and El, E-L, which means God. So, as it was mentioned here first, originally, this is the house of God. Because he met God in that place. So we knew Jacob grew up in a family that knew God and tried to trust God and followed God. But we don't see much about Jacob's faith until this point begins to take, uh, transpire. And then we see it play out later in his life as well. And so for Jacob, I think this equates to his salvation experience. Now, we had three tremendous baptisms this morning. We've had baptisms most of the last several weeks. And in many cases, a lot of them share in their testimony that we see on video that they grew up in church, they knew all about God, but it wasn't until they had this special encounter, this spiritual marker, so to speak, that they began to know God. So they went from knowing about God to actually knowing God on a personal level. And I think that's what happened with Jacob here. For me personally, I always think back, my spiritual marker when it comes to salvation was back when I was 17 years old. I just graduated from high school and I began working on a ministry, a resort ministry on the coast of North Carolina in the Outer Banks, if you're familiar with that area. And so during the summer, one night, our uh, leaders chose to, show a movie about the end times. Now, this is one of those where, you know, uh, Jesus comes back and all the Christians go to heaven, then the Antichrist comes, and life on earth is just 
horrendous and terrible. And so from watching that movie, I was scared to death. I was getting more and more uncomfortable as the movie went along. And so I was literally shaking uh, from discomfort there, from fear. And so fortunately, the leadership had a discussion time afterwards and said, okay, does anybody have any questions out there? And I was the first one that jumped up to, to ask a question. And, you know, I worked in the ministry, but I, was, I had to ask this question. And I said, how do you know for sure that you're not going to be one of those people that gets left behind? And I started thinking, left behind? Gosh, that'd be a great book title someday. <laughs> Yeah, maybe a movie, you know, and meet Kirk Cameron and all that good stuff. No. (laughs) And so fortunately, the leaders were very wise. And I just remember one of the pastors that was up there just looked at me and, and just so calmly and comfortingly said, well, Phil, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I just went, because I knew I had done that when I was eight years old. I know it was a sincere and genuine experience of salvation when I was eight, thanks to my parents and their influence in my life. But for some reason, the aspect of assurance of salvation had never sunk in. And so from that point on, That became a spiritual marker because my life changed as a result of that experience. I had total assurance of my salvation that I've never doubted since that point. And I had a greater peace in my life. And I didn't worry about stuff anymore when it came to spiritual things because I knew I was good with God because of what Jesus had already done for me. And that was really important because that fall, I was heading off to college as a freshman. And previously, I'd kind of been thinking of college like a lot of us do, you know, freedom and getting away from family and all that stuff, do what I want to do. And uh, that totally changed my direction. So I went to college wanting to continue to be in ministry and leading Bible studies or whatever God opened the door for for me to do. So that was my spiritual marker. That was my Bethel, the house of God, because it was a great experience. Well, then the second one we want to look at is all about Samuel and a place called Ebenezer. Well, Samuel was the prophet of God for Israel. And this is before uh, the series that Pastor Kevin is doing now about King David. Uh, You may remember that King Saul was the first king of Israel. But before Saul became king, Samuel was the prophet. He was the one who was the spiritual leader for the nation. So as usual, the Israelites were in war with the Philistines. And so the Philistines were coming for the big showdown battle. And so before they went into battle, though, Samuel called all the people together and said, okay, Guys, we need to have an old-fashioned prayer meeting right now, all right? So they gather together and begin to have this prayer meeting. And notice what begins to happen here in 1 Samuel. Now, Samuel was offering up the burnt offering as part of their worship experience and prayer meeting. And the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. So just think about it, how 
nervous the Israelites were getting. Here they are praying, and the Bible is very clear that they were repenting of their sin. They were getting right with God. They were confessing sin. And they were just having a great prayer meeting, but then somebody opened their eyes from the prayer and looked off to the horizon, and here the Philistines were coming. It was almost as if we were gathering here, and the Philistines were coming down Zebulun Road, and they just crossed over I-475. That's how close they were getting. And you could see the enemy, and it's kind of like, okay, who wants to wake up Samuel or tell Samuel that the enemy is at the door? We need, we need to start fighting. But Samuel kept on going with the worship time. And as he prayed, it says the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Now, in the text there, it talks about how the Philistines basically turned on each other. So it's kind of like, the Israelites almost didn't have to do anything because the Philistines were killing each other. That's a pretty good way to fight, isn't it? And so uh, God gave them a great victory just by using thunder and causing confusion there. And then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mitzpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped me. So therefore, Ebenezer literally means stone of help, stone of help. Now, if you've grown up in church before, you probably recognize that term from a hymn, come, come thy fount of many blessings. Because in the second verse, it says, here I raise mine Ebenezer. When I was a kid singing that song, I had no clue what that was all about. Only Ebenezer I knew was Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, from Christmas Carol. And so... What's this? But fortunately, as an adult, I found that and saw that Ebenezer means my stone of help. Well, what comes to your mind? When has God stepped in and come to your aid, come to your rescue? If you can think of something right away, that's been your spiritual marker. That's been your sign that God says, hey, I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. For me personally, it was about right there. I can't see who's sitting there, but about the fifth row in the center section there several years ago. Back in 2014, my wife Penny uh, discovered that she had a brain tumor on, attached to her cerebellum, which is on the back side of the brain. And uh, the cerebellum controls the motor skills of an individual. Now, she'd had breast cancer 10 years earlier, and it had now metastasized to become a brain tumor. So we found out um, about it and they were ready to do surgery immediately, but for, then fortunately they changed their mind and decided to wait till the next week to do the surgery. So the Sunday during the, in, the, in that period of a week, um, I got out of all my usual Sunday responsibilities so that Penny and I could just worship together uh, as a husband and wife, which we rarely got to do. And so we came and we sat right there in the center section. And in the course of our worship, the worship team led us in a song that we had sung a million times, but for some reason it had never sunk in for me. And it went like, it was called uh, Never Alone, or Never Once by Matt Redman. And the chorus goes like this. Scars and struggles on the way but with joy our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, never once did he leave us on our own, you were faithful 
God, you are faithful. So immediately, Penny and I just turned and looked at each other and said, this is going to be okay. Because that was such a precarious operation that the doctor was going to have to do. And we were so encouraged when we discovered our doctor was a Christian. And he says, I pray over each of my cases. And I pray with the patient before we go into surgery. And so when that time for the surgery came later in the week, I can remember Penny in pre-op was just as calm as anyone could be. As if she was maybe getting a tooth pulled or something like that. And while I was waiting, because it was a several-hour surgery, I remember being totally at peace, totally at calm during that time, instead of freaking out like I thought I would be. And fortunately, there was several of you that were there with me, came and sat with me. One in particular friend, Kenny, knows that he was, he was there. I loved having him there because we didn't have to talk. We could just be there. And tons of people were praying for us. So she came out of the surgery great. She was beat up because basically had to crack her skull and get in there to to get to the tumor. But she survived, and they got 100% of the tumor removed. And it goes back to that moment right there that that was our Ebenezer. So there's a special place in that chair, those chairs right there for me. Praise God. Praise the Lord. That was our Ebenezer. That was my, our stone of help. Well, finally, and another one of my favorites. See, these are all, when you preach, you get to do your favorite stuff, you know, was with Joshua. Now, you remember that Moses led the people out of Egypt in the great exodus, but then they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Moses got them right up to the point of entering the promised land, but then he died. And so Joshua became the new leader of the nation of Israel. And so the first big obstacle they had to deal with was crossing the Jordan River from the west side to the, no, the east side to the west side, excuse me, to move into the promised land. Well, just to make sure they knew it was going to be a good obstacle, it was during the season of the year when the Jordan River was at flood stage. And so, because you didn't want to make it too easy, you know? So, but Joshua prayed to God, and God gave him very specific instructions and said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant, just like Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark, that's the same one. Carry the the Ark. Well, not that exact same one, but, you know, (laughs) the Ark, anyway. And so... So when I want the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and when their feet touch the water, I will pull back the waters of the Jordan and allow them, your people, to cross, the people to cross in dry land. And so as God foretold, Joshua passed on the instructions. When the priest carried the Ark and they touched the water, immediately the waters of the Jordan pulled back. You remember, and so that was a miracle in and of itself. But then notice that it says, and they walked across dry land. Now, how many of you have been in a lake when they let the water out for a while to work on the docks and stuff? It's pretty mucky stuff. I mean, that's harder. Yeah, anyway. But it was dry land, so they just zipped right across. And it was to show the people, one, the greatness of God, but secondly, to show, hey, I'm with Joshua, just like I was with Moses when y'all crossed the Red Sea. 
And so they did exactly that. But, and then they all crossed the river. But before the waters were, you know, came back to the way they should, Joshua told the people, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, go back into the uh, riverbed there and pull out a stone. And we're going to build another monument. We're going to build a spiritual marker to commemorate this event. And that became known as Gilgal. So quickly, here's the scripture that tells his story. And as Joshua had finished doing all that, and these 12 stones, which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, notice his instructions here. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed just as the Lord your God has done to the Red Sea. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. That's Gilgal. And it's still noteworthy to this day from what I understand. But notice why, one of the big reasons why was so that they could pass down these spiritual markers to their children. If you have children of your own or grandchildren or uh, maybe your children are grown, you've probably taken a trip to Washington, D.C. at some point. And as you walked around the, the mall of Washington, you saw the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the other memorials dedicated to the different wars that have taken place. And your kids probably said, what's that all about? Who was George Washington or who was Abraham Lincoln or, you know, the different memorials that are there. And so you did the exact same thing. You told them what you knew about each of these heroes of our nation. Well, that's what Joshua, God instructed Joshua to do for the people of Israel so that the children would never forget that it would be passed on to the next generation on down the line. And so you may ask, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, look what happens in Judges just a few chapters later. And the, in Judges chapter 2, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. And there arose another generation after them who did not what? know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. So you see in just two generations, the message and the impact was lost because the parents failed to teach the children. That's one reason we have such a strong emphasis on our next generation, our preschoolers, our kids, our students, because we want them to know the scriptures. You see them getting baptized because that's a joint effort of the parents as well as uh, the church here and the leadership here. God's doing a great work in our next generation, but it just continues to remind us how important it is that we tell people, we pass the message on about our spiritual markers of the way God's looked, worked in our life and saying, here's your sign that I am with you, that I'm going to work in your life, that I care for you, and that your future 
is taken care of. Your future is in good shape because I am with you all the way. So as, as I've been talking, perhaps you've been thinking about spiritual markers in your life and hopefully they've become great reminders for you already that you go back to for encouragement, for direction, for your future. But there may be some here who think, I'm not sure I've got any. So maybe you just never thought about it before or maybe you thought maybe what happened to you was coincidence whereas it was actually God doing that. Or maybe you've never had that first one, like Jacob, where you went from knowing about God to knowing God on a personal level. And if that's the case, we invite you to get that settled today. You could plant that spiritual marker this morning by receiving Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful place called the prayer room in the corner there if, if, if to your left. And if you're in the overflow room, it's just right across the hall. That if you have not ever settled that in your life, man, talk to somebody over there. We have great people that would love to listen to your story and pray with you and just hear what your needs might be. But you can get that settled today. So just like my wife and I, when we were sitting there and for our Ebenezer, our stone of help, this could be your Bethel, your house of God. Because God worked in your life here. God lives here. And we've seen too many blessings to know that God's hand is not upon this church. Not because of us and leadership, but because of you and all of us praying together, trusting the Holy Spirit for leadership, trusting God that he is in control. And everything we want to do is for the gospel and for our city. That's what it's all about. Trusting God. Let his spiritual markers show you the way for the future.